Hello and welcome to Stick Around, a suicide discussion. If you or someone you love struggle with mental illness, this is the place to be. I'm Kel Bjorn, and I'm passionate about helping others discover ways to find value in their lives. You've got friends, you've got family, you've got plenty of people who want you to stick around. So let's open up and see if we can make a difference. And welcome back, everybody. This is Kel Bjorn, uh, ready for this week's Stick Around episode. And today I'm speaking with Allie Pshuk. And Allie is a licensed marriage and family therapist with the California State Board of Behavioral Sciences. She has a master's in counseling psychology and also has a website, California Online Psychotherapy, where she blends depth work with pragmatic tools. And she actually is working on a book right now. It's going to be coming out later this month, hopefully by the end of December. And it's called The Therapist Next Door. So welcome to the show, Allie. Hi, Kel. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, appreciate it. It's pretty, pretty interesting. I just looking at your website and it seems like, I think you mentioned on there that you've kind of taken your practice to be completely online. Is that how it, it's going? That's correct. Yeah. I, I had some freakishly good travel time. I was feeling a bit stagnant in the San Francisco Bay. I had been licensed for a few years and was heading to my office one day and started to see the, my foot imprints from the day before in the carpet and oh, was, wow. was feeling like it was ready to shake, shake things up. And I knew that I wanted to travel. And so I, I was doing some telehealth already doing virtual therapy yeah. um, for folks who were sick or, you know, didn't want to leave the house for whatever reason. And so I decided to move my caseload uh, 100% online in early 2019. And I spent the year uh, circumnavigating the globe. And I landed back in the States on the day that the first COVID case was diagnosed in New York. No way. Uh, at the end of February. So I got in a really good year of travel, which is tiding me over during these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, the timing of that is amazing, especially, I mean, how many people were forced to do things more online? where you, you had already set that up. So it's quite the yeah. advantage. Well, and it was interesting because when I decided to move my work solely online, I got a lot of pushback from folks saying like, oh, you, you can't do therapy online. It doesn't work. Um, and, and actually it, it, I would push back against that and say it, it very much does. We can absolutely sustain and create new relationships virtually. And yes, it's different. Um, but in some ways, it, uh, it, it is more, they say that the face to face, um, you know, how we are in communication with each other these days, well, yes, it's online and it is, you know, one dimensional, uh, the face to face contact mimics the mother child dyad, so that as we are uh, so attuned to one another that, uh, that there can certainly be an emotional contact. Virtually. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. Well, so let's, uh, let's go back a ways. Like where, where did you grow up? You said you were in California. Did you grow up there? 
no, I grew up. It's funny when I talk about New Jersey, I'll, I'll, I always say the exit. I grew up exit 12, New Jersey, uh-huh. a small, small town called Carteret. And uh, was about half an hour outside of New York City and went to undergrad in uh, Manhattan. And I studied my whole life. I was trained to be a, a dancer and a, oh, and wow. a gymnast. Yeah, so I have a, an undergrad degree in uh, modern dance and uh, soon realized modern dance was painful and there was no money in it. Wow, yeah. And was I was teaching yoga privately and was getting a lot of clients who would plunk down in the session and just start talking and they would you know, be processing about their days and you know their very stressful jobs and, and family and I my first thought was I am not a therapist I and I'm trying to you know coax them into yoga poses and while they're still talking and yeah and I thought you know I, I really I think I'd like to to do this to figure out a way to make space for people's you know the, the talk process but also the, the body's process, right? Because after the hour long yoga session, certainly they were, you know, good to go, right? Every, there was alignment. So yeah. there's something about the magic of talking and, and moving. And so I found a somatic psychotherapy program in California. And so that's uh, what I studied. So I have a concentration in somatic psychotherapy, which uses the body as the primary means of inquiry. So I I like to ask a lot of questions about posture and breath and, and gesture. Interesting. I've never heard of that before. I mean, I know there's, there's yoga and then there's therapy, but I, or obviously you're not mixing yoga in particular, maybe, but, but mixing kind of the two in a way to, to get some healing. That's, that's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's not, you, you know, somatic psychotherapy looks at the, the body-mind system as a, a bottom-up perspective, right? So traditional psychotherapy, the, you know, the old school CBTs, the cognitive behavioral therapy, it's really a top-down approach. Yeah. And so the theory there is, you know, you change your thought, you'll change your feeling. And that, that sometimes does work, Right if we can intervene at the level of thought um, that can usually prevent the trickle down into the full fledged, you know, feeling. And, but if, if we're already feeling something, we have to ride it out. We can't always change it by intervening with thought. So then we can look at how is the body holding this experience? How is the body uh, shaping itself around or with the feeling of depression or anxiety Uh, so it's a we say it's a bottom up that through exploring what is happening internally and that's you know everything from skin to muscle bone uh, movement right pulse of, of blood flow all of those those pieces um and it's 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 difficult work but it is remarkable work Wow. So had you, I guess when you start training for this and start school, do they put you through some sessions so you kind of know what the experience is like or how has that been, that learning process? 
Yeah. Well, a lot of my cohort had been through their own personal therapy. A lot of us came to the work with, I, you know, I started therapy school in my early thirties, I think. So I'd been already working with different therapists for about 11 or so years. Uh, but the training itself requires, and it's different for every training program, but ours was 50 hours uh, with uh, an individual therapist. Wow. That is a lot. I mean, it doesn't sound like too much, but I mean, spread out over, over what kind of a time period? Was it like an hour a day or what, what was kind of the regimen? Uh, so, so weekly therapy is usually advised. So you know, I imagine some folks did more or less, but I, I worked with my therapist weekly and uh, the training program was about three years, I think, two yeah. and a half years. And then the whole um, long road to licensure, which is a, a whole other story of yeah. you know, accruing 3000 hours prior wow. to sitting for two different licensure exams. Yeah. That is intense. Yeah. Right on. Well, do you mind kind of sharing, I guess, what your own experience was with that. I mean, we mentioned you'd been working with therapists before and what was that experience kind of coming out to the end of that? Mm. I guess that's not a very clear question, but I'm just kind of wondering what your personal experience was and the benefits of going through something like this. Mm. The experience and the benefits. You know, I, I would say, you know, sometimes it is hard to find a right fit with a, a therapist. And so, yeah. and I, I talk about this in my book a bit is the, the journey to finding that person that you can really land with and attach to. Um, so I, I did start therapy after uh, I lost my mother to cancer in, mm. in 1999. And I didn't know what, therapy would do for me. I just knew that I needed it. I needed yeah. to be in it. Um, and I would say, you know, therapy has been, it's, it's one of the core pieces for recovery and, and ongoing recovery. I, I would say, you know, there's certainly, you know, medication support, um, therapy, meditation, exercise, right? There's different components that, uh, you know, there's some tools that uh, for folks who struggle uh, with long-term depression, which you know, some of your listeners struggle with, yeah. uh, that there's just certain things that are non-negotiables. And, and for me, that is one. And certainly doing the work, um, I don't think every therapist needs to be in therapy, but I think that it is, uh, it, it is best, it, it is best practice to be engaged in your own self-development process so that you are uh, walking, walking the talk for sure. Yeah, that is a great, a great point. <laughs> this is kind of a weird thought, but I, right off the bat, I was thinking of, uh, you know, people say never trust a skinny chef. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's almost maybe not comparable, but kind of similar, you know, like if you're yeah. meeting with somebody that's, that's a therapist and they haven't been looking into themselves and their own kind of inner peace and that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's, it's hard to know what advice mm -hmm. to take. <laughs> maybe that chef has a really high metabolism. It uh, might be true. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, gives it, you know, gives such insight into the work. Certainly, you know, if I'm working with someone and they are blowing their nose, for example, you know, they're, they're crying and they're blowing their nose. I know to stop talking when they're blowing their nose because when I blow my nose, when I'm in my own therapy, I can't hear my therapist. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I know, I know that experience. And we can't say we wholly know what someone is feeling. Certainly it's, uh, you know, emotions show up so differently for every individual. And yet also there's, there's something universal. Yeah. yeah that's interesting. In that sense, you know, depression can be really connecting. I say it's a leveler. It levels all. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm actually a little curious still about, you know, you mentioned your mom had passed away um, and you knew that you just needed to talk to somebody. So was that kind of a, a depressive moment in your life that you found that it was difficult to deal with without doing some therapy or what was that experience like for you? It, it was, it was, you know, it was an interesting experience because I had spent a lot of my youth training, as I mentioned. And so I was at that point I had retired from elite competitive gymnastics, but I was training you know, something like 30 hours a week at the gym wow. from the ages of, you know, I started dancing at, um, like I think five or six and then I moved to gymnastics. And so, and I, I say that because I didn't really know who my mother was because I was so, you know, I was out of the house a lot. And so it was this combination of her death but also the death of someone who I didn't really know. Hmm. And, and so the loss of actually getting to know her. Um, and I was, I was 19, but I was a very young 19. Hmm. And, um, you know, in addition to therapy, I certainly dealt with it in, in other ways and tried to numb out and, and escape. Um, and you know, and as I share that, you know, we're in, I'm not sure when this will air, but we're, we're certainly still very much swimming in, in the sea of the pandemic and, yeah. and tremendous loss. And, you know, even if I, I for example, I, I haven't known anyone personally to, to pass from COVID in this year, uh, but even if we don't know anyone personally, it, it swimming in in the sea of collective loss and death uh i would say you know for folks who who are sensitive um it can be very confusing right now it's like why am i feeling this way you know on top of you know sheltering and and maybe you know cohabitating with someone and and, uh you know either too much time together you know (laughs) not enough alone time and preaching to the choir of your family (laughs) of six right yeah um, there's that, but there's also this, you know, the collective death that we're all feeling. And so it's, it's a lot right now. Yeah, it is a weird time. It's nothing most of us has really had anything we could compare that to. And one of my other thoughts is, you know, I hear this a lot from athletes where you spent your whole life focusing on competition and expectations and all this kind of stuff. And then yeah. At some point there comes a time where you just can't compete anymore. You just can't do it anymore. And then it's like, now what? 
And mm-hmm. you know, there's been mm-hmm. some documentaries about that. I, I find pretty fascinating where that, yeah. that alone can be pretty depressing, but mixing mm-hmm. that with the loss of your mother, I mean, I can imagine that whole time period in your life was, was pretty complicated and pretty rough. I've been on, and I feel as though I've 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 found it through through the work that I do now. I feel like this is the work I'm meant to do on this earth, and I think that you know a lot of depression, and, and certainly you know it's biological. It's it's not just the the nurture, right? That's we say it's both. It is both nature, you know, what we come into the world with, and and then what we do with that raw genetic material. So you know, finding one can find their purpose and still be struggling chemically. Um, and, you know, sir, I would say finding meaning and purpose and, and that thing, and it might not be your forever thing, but finding that, or I just, I shouldn't say finding it because it's not outside of ourselves. Right. But on, yeah unpacking internally, what is at our core, what gets us up out of bed, even in, the the god awful days and not wanting to get up right what why why do this thing right like why why live why yeah. why are you here um and to find that is uh, it, it's it's the work of a lifetime right because it does change that's some great advice and really your example is great because you were able to to find something new to kind of put your energy towards and it's almost and it's an interesting path because it's not like you stop gymnastics and you're like, I'm going to be a therapist. It's, you know, you try something, you know, you're doing a yoga instructor and then you kind of, you kind yeah. of discover what it is by trying other things. You know what I mean? Like that's something yeah. I've struggled with a lot in my life is I want to just make a decision on something, but sometimes that decision isn't ready to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I need to just get involved in certain things and eventually it'll kind of uncover itself what I'm going to be involved in. I don't know if that yes, makes sense. Absolutely. Well, it's that waiting, right? I mean, the, the brain does not like that, that feeling of, um, you, you know, that amorphous space that we can be in when we are waiting that sometimes now is not the time to act or now is not the time to make a decision. And, and we certainly don't like that, but we can take, you know, a baby step towards something and dip our toe in and be like, you know, how, how does that feel? Do I, do I like this? Do I want to, you know, engage more with, with whatever that is project community. Um, I'm certainly a fan of the non-linear career path. I, I was temping at one point. I was, you know, picking up the phone at like a law firm. And I also, you know, did some work backstage after I, you know, retired from gymnastics and then later from performing, I, it was that, yeah, what, what am I going to do with my life? And yeah. actually one, I, I think, do you ask folks what books they would recommend at the yes, end? Yes, absolutely. Well, one, one book just came to mind and it's, it's an oldie, but a goodie. And uh, I wonder if there's any kind of newer versions of it, but uh, I can't remember the fellow's name who wrote it, but the, the title is what should I do with my life? Hmm. And it's a collection of essays of, of how folks have found their path. And that was so soothing uh, for me when you're just like, what am I doing? And, um, and I, I work with a lot of folks who are, are figuring that out. And 
and we have our, our lifetimes. We, we want things right away, right? That is the, the yeah. brain or maybe I can, we can say specifically like the Western brain where it's like, you know, this has to have happened yesterday. Um, and yet there, there's space, there's time. Yeah. No, that's great advice. Well, so what are some of the approaches you would take with a client in particular that is struggling with depression or anxiety, other mental health issues? Oh, that's such a hard an- question to answer because it is so unique to, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone. I, I would say that, you know, my, my first step is to, is to look at the past, right? We want to, uh, it, I say, you know, we're not going to spend every session talking about your, your family of origin, but you know, I am trained psychodynamically, which looks at how the past is, has shaped us and is still with us, right? So we know that attachment forms in the first five years. And, you know, that is our blueprint for how we attach to others, which has to do, you know, a a lot with, um, you know, who has been safe in our, in our lives. Uh, So I do, I, I ask a lot of questions about, you know, what was, what was it like growing up? Um, who who would you go to when you were upset right we we learn how to be with our emotions from the the people who are bigger right our our primary caregivers in whatever uh, orientation configuration that looks like that if we had parents who who didn't know how to work with their own emotions or, you know, some uh, parents put their emotions on others. And, you know, there's that role reversal or the, you know, the parent, when the child has to be the parent and take care of them that, you know, that can be really, the, the word damaging sounds permanent, but it is certainly not. It's, it's, it's deeply wounding and, and, and damaging. And so we have to look at, okay, um, what part of you didn't get to be a kid, didn't get to play, yeah. Uh, but again, it's so different for every person. Sometimes people float back and they're like, it was, you know, n- nothing, you know, I fell off my bike or, you know, these really innocuous um, challenges. It, it can be hard to pinpoint it. And then, you know, I, I don't know. I, I am of the spiritual mind. I, I try my best to not put that on my clients, but you know, we don't know what we're coming into the world with psychically, spiritually, emotionally, um, we can be inheriting a lot. And, uh, and then, you know, parents can, you know, do their best work to, you know, create experiences that uh, are really nourishing and nurturing for the child. And, and there's still like something, right? It's like, ah, why am I, why am I feeling depressed? It's so confusing. And sometimes we can never get to the why. And so then we bring it into the present moment and we look at the how, how does this show up for you? How are you holding it? How do you move with the depression, the anxiety? Um, So it's a process. Yeah. That's true. I mean, there's really isn't, I guess that's a tough question to even ask you because there can't be a blanket response. I mean, it's just, uh, I'm really coming to mind I've had plenty of different jobs over my time and some of those have been sales jobs. And a lot of times I find it, I would find it frustrating when a client would call basically and say, 
just what, what what's your price? Give me the price. You know, I need this. Give me a quote real quick. I, you know, it's like, well, I need to know your circumstances. I need to know mm. what, what it is your needs are because there's lots of different prices, you know, and I don't, obviously I'm not giving an industry in particular, but I mean, given a roof, for example, you can't just call a roofer and say, how much for the roof? I mean, they got to come and measure it. There's a lot entailed. Right, so right. I, I just hit you with that question. That was terrible. But a great. Well, <laughs> no, well, it's, it's interesting. This is new information for me that even, you know, sales can be such a process oriented experience that it's about process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in a lot of different industries, we, we can't just give a blanket response to a lot of different things because mm. you're right. It's like everybody's different. Every situation's different. Well, and, you know, there are tools to have in the tool belt. And, you know, I mentioned some of them earlier, you know, certainly meditation. Um, but this is outside of my scope. So I shouldn't, I, I just have to be careful about around what I uh, speak to. I, yeah. um, in terms of, you know, there's serotonin rich foods. I'm not a nutritionist, uh, but certainly, you know, healthy diet, water, Sometimes we feel sad and we're actually just dehydrated. Hmm. Our brain is, our bodies are such a high percentage of, of water that, you know, if, if we are dehydrated, that sluggish lethargy can sometimes masquerade as, as depression. It's like, no, we're, we're actually maybe just thirsty. I'm going to have some water now because I, I hear some raspiness. In my I voice. actually just got thirsty from you saying <laughs> that. It's amazing. <laughs> But I think a lot of us just end up downing some caffeine, right? When we feel tired, <laughs> it's probably not the best route. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, then that gets to the underlying needs, right? Asking ourselves, okay, what do we really need? And is this the best thing to be reaching for? Hmm. And I have, a, I have a cup of coffee right here, but I reached for the water. Um, oh, that's good. <laughs> but so there are tools that, uh, you know, absolutely exercise. I realize that is coming from an ableist perspective. Not everyone is able to exercise, but movement, even if we can't do the movement we want to do, right? So many of us are uh, locked in. Some of us can't, you know, I work with people in California. There were days when they couldn't go outside or oh, yeah. smoke. Um, so we have to figure out, okay, what is possible? And it's, it's not going to be wholly satisfying, right? Seeing your friends on zoom is not going to quench your thirst for hanging out yeah. and yet it does something. So it's about that incremental shift. What right. can make you feel just incrementally better? Yeah. Oh, that's just some great tips. Absolutely. So obviously the main focus, I guess, of this podcast is suicide prevention. Um, do you have any insights in particular on mm-hmm. that category as far as what kinds of things can we do as a culture or as people mm. to help those suicidal rates that have been yeah. getting worse and worse? Yeah. It's, it can be so hard for the person struggling and suffering to remember that, that it will pass in, in the moment. It might, you know, the suicidal ideation might come back in the next hour or in the next day. 
it is so vital to remember that something different is possible that you know another one of my favorite books is andrew solomon's the noonday demon mm. and it's a it's a huge it's a honkin you know it's a behemoth work it is uh i having read that i listened to it on on audio um never before have i felt so seen I, he gets depression and you know for anyone who reads it um there, there's just such a way that it, it, it the depression is so so I, I share that book because you know in it he talks about you know try to remember that it's not always going to feel like this it feels like this now but it it, it will pass and and to hold on in that moment, I also, you know, when I was thinking about this earlier, I, I was thinking about alcoholism and, and those two things might sound really different. Sometimes they go together. Yeah. Um, but with, you know, you tell an alcoholic, you can't drink for the rest of your life and they're, they're going to panic. You tell an alcoholic, okay, you just can't drink tonight or for the rest of today. And they can say, okay, I, I can hmm. do this. Yeah. So if we in, you know, in those moments of, you know, almost getting into the car, driving to the bridge, whatever that looks like, if in that moment, that person can say, okay, I'm just not going to do this today. We, we, we get till tomorrow. Right. And then we get till tomorrow and then we wait and see what shifts that it's, you know, the, the, the only lasting truth has changed that Octavia Butler says that, right. Yeah. Um, things will change if even 1% and if they change 1% for the worse, uh, that is still shows us promise for, for thing, for movement in life, for fluctuation and, all things fluctuate in yeah. nature, right? And we're a part of that. We, you know, it's how do we ride the wave? How do we move through the storm? There, there will be storms and, and how do we hold on, right? I have a friend who has a tattoo. It says, just survive for now. Hmm. Just, just for now. If we're here in the present moment, in the now, we just get to the next moment. Yeah. That's but really... Oh, go ahead. Well, I, for the, you know, the second part for the, for those who see who are in, you know, friends, family, community of those who are suffering, I would say there is so much power in just seeing the other that it can, it can be as simple as that of saying, you know, I, I see you. And, yeah. and I had a really powerful example of, of that that I, I talk about in, in the book also. Of, you know, I think it's for the other, it's like they can imagine, I, you know, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Or, you know, I don't have this emotional capacity. And sometimes it's just a, a little dollop, do you, right, of that one person. Yeah. Uh, That's amazing. I mean, I've had a few experiences just with some of these episodes where people have attempted to take their own lives and and you're right it has sometimes it has been just a random person that maybe not quote says i see you but whatever it is just giving them the attention and listening and trying to understand and help them see the value in their life 
And I really like what you talk about with just focusing on the next step rather than your whole life. Cause our whole life is overwhelming no matter who you are. <laughs> I was actually just talking to a friend of mine this week about one of my favorite books was how to win friends and influence people, which is Dale mm-hmm. Carnegie. It's kind of a business book, but good for anybody. Um, but he also has a book called uh, stop worrying and start living which oh, gives yes. some really, book. oh, do you? Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah. So he gives an example in there. He, well, he says that we should live in day tight windows. And I've always loved that because he's like, mm. if you're focused in the past, you're going to be depressed. If you're focused in the future, you're going to be anxious. So if you can just focus on today, just get through today on what you need to accomplish, then yeah. some of those struggles yeah. can go away. I just love that. Yeah. That, that is so true, right? That de- depression is, is usually about the past. And I say this not to um, like demonize the person or, or blame the, you know, the, the victim, but the, it usually is about grief or about yesterday yeah, or, or about you know, the loss. And anxiety is usually about the future, right? The worry, the projection into the future. And then if we kind of, you know, <laughs> smack ourselves back into the present moment this is you know there's usually relative peace i'm, I'm also aware that's not available for everyone right sometimes yeah. you know homes are are very chaotic and safety is not available for everyone but if we slow down it's like oh there's you know there's the rain outside yeah there's you know the, the coolness uh on the floor, um, we, we get back into it. And then in that moment, we have a respite from the mind's uh, fixations. And, and we might go back to it. We might go back to, oh, I, you know, what the, whatever those worries are, but at least we get a moment, a momentary uh, vac- mini vacation. Yeah, that's a great way to put it for sure. Well, so let's, let's talk about your, your book a little bit. Um, when did you decide that you wanted to write a book? It's a pretty daunting oh. task. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I started writing it in 2005, actually. And wow. it's funny because, yeah, back in the day, I don't know if you remember like floppy disks. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I had, I had saved it on, on that uh, so I'd started writing it in, in 2005 and, and set it aside for, let's see, probably about 10 years. And then I would take it out and I'd work on it a little bit and, and then I'd put it away again. And it was actually when I was traveling, I was in Colombia and I was, uh, every country that I was in, I would find local therapists and call them up pretty much cold call and, you know, try to try to meet up with local folks to hear about their work and their practice. Mm. And I had uh, called a, a woman in, in Colombia, in Medellin, and was really excited to meet up with her. And she said, oh, you should meet my daughter. And so she brought her daughter to, to coffee that morning. And I was like, why, why do you want me to meet your daughter? Um, and it turned out her daughter was, was writing a book. And I hadn't told this woman that I was, was working on a book. And so this, this woman, her name's Sierra, and uh, she, she was working on a book. And 
and, and putting it out. And, and I was, she was really my, my inspiration for, I, I can do this. I think when, you know, modeling is so important that when we see people doing things that, that we want to be doing, and I didn't even realize I, w- I was wanting to publish. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I, I want to do this. Um, so, so that was really my inspiration. And so that was in, let's see, April or March of um, 2019. And the book took, has taken so many different forms. It initially started out as memoir. And, you know, as I was moving through South America, there are, there's so many memory museums, memory museums that document genocide and, um, you know, global tragedy. I was aware that, you know, the United States only has a few a handful, I think maybe even just three or so uh, museums dedicated to slavery. And I started to look at the, the, the mental health, the disparities in, in care and looking at uh, the criminalization of mental health and, and the impact on uh, black and brown BIPOC folks. Um, and so then it, it, it morphed and I, mid-year I realized I was starting to write a book on prison reform mm. and and I was like this this does not feel like while this is so vital this you know the research that I was doing I had to slow down and say that this is not my book to write that it is more of a, a personal uh, story and so I was chatting with you know different folks throughout the year and it was finally in Spain that I, I called up um therapist in Canada and we were talking and I was like I'm feeling really stuck and confused and he said you know write your story your story sounds fascinating and it was in that moment I said okay this is my original intention which is you know it's now it's a collection of of life stories Hmm. and some perspectives as a a therapist but it it had uh been through a journey, which is why it's taken so darn long. I, yeah. I sold the book uh, to some folks last summer, and uh, every month I'm like, "Oh, it's it's still not done. It's still not done." But I'm I'm being gentle with myself yeah. in the process and trusting that it uh, when it's ready. It, so it's in the hands of an editor right now, and uh, you know then it has to go through proofreading and oh, layout yeah. design and, and cover design. So. I'm hoping that some December magic can happen with it for it to be, uh, you know, holiday gift giving time, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. I mean, so by the time this episode comes out, there's a chance that your book might be out there. We're usually about a month out or so. Um, Mm. So if that's the case, I mean, either way, I mean, keep in touch, send me a link once it's out. I'd love to put a link to that book in the show notes for this episode so people can access that. And uh, we'll see when that actually happens. It's exciting. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said before, I do like to ask people for kind of a resource, another book or a podcast that you like to share with people. So you shared a couple of book titles that we'll share links to Mm -hmm. as well if people are interested in. Do you have any other final either piece of advice or final words you want to share or another book that you find inspiring that you want to leave with our listeners? You know, I'm always 
I, I was inspired by, you know, mental health based memoirs and, you know, David Sedaris and Augustine Burroughs uh, were always, you know, on my bookshelves and, and also a woman named Maria Hornbacher. Uh, she writes in such a raw and visceral way. I would, you know, suggest anything by her. And also, you know, I would in, in, encourage your listeners to write their story. Mm. Um, there's a, a woman named Anna Davis who has a book called Make, Make Your Mess, Your Memoir. And so I, I would say, you know, that that was one thing that saved me was I was always writing, writing my experiences. And, uh, and you know, everyone has so much wisdom to share. It can be so grounding to reflect on one's past and one one's journey uh, to welcome in all of the, you know, the mess and the chaos and the, the beauty and the, the joy that it's all, you know, life, a, a, a rich life is, is one with all of those, all of those elements. And if we can hold it all, um, we can, you know, that, that can build resiliency and, and tolerance for, you know, the distress that, that might come to know and trust that there is, is beauty through it all. Yeah. Wow. Those are some great, some great final words. And man, I, I really just appreciate your time and your message is, is really inspiring. I mean, I love to, to kind of dig down into people's history and kind of what it was that created who you are today. And, some great some mm -hmm. great advice for people that are struggling and the work that you do is is absolutely important so i appreciate that and thank you so much for joining mm -hmm. today oh thank you cal thank you for your good work mm -hmm. such a gift to the community hey thank you again for listening in today if you truly are struggling and having suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. They are available 24 hours every day and are anxious to help people in need. If you prefer to text, I would recommend the Crisis Text Line. They provide 24-7 support via text message. They're here for everything from anxiety, depression, and suicide. So even if you don't consider yourself suicidal, please text HOME to 741-741. That's H-O-M-E to 741-741. And simply open up about how you're feeling. Until next time, let's all stick around and help each other find hope and see value in life.